You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, episode 182. The province of Massachusetts Bay and the Salem Witch Trials. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Ben. In the last episode and in this episode, we are talking about a book we're reading, The Fever of 1721, The Epidemic That Revolutionized Medicine and American Politics by Stephen Koss. And we're not doing a book report here. We are merely giving some background. So whether you read the book or not, this is some information that we've been going over because I didn't realize that the American Revolution wasn't just something that started in the 1760s. Yeah, absolutely. It's a boiling pot, I guess you could say, for uh, over 100 years that really starts to come to a head, you know, up around the Boston area. You know how those Boston folk are. They can get pretty feisty sometimes. So <laughs> uh, the, the whole the whole relationship between the colonies and between England and the, and the king are really, you know, it's not a good relationship. It's kind of an abusive relationship, in fact. There's a couple of families who emerge as, I don't know if you want to call them rebel rousers, but yeah. they definitely were questioning the king and what he was doing and the authority that England was exerting over the colonies. But it's kind of interesting because, and I think we mentioned this in the last episode, where the Plymouth Colony... So keep in mind, the Plymouth Colony and Massachusetts Bay were separate, and then they became unified. They didn't have a valid charter from England. So it was kind of like, who's really in charge yeah. here? And you had that issue of, is England in charge? Are the colonists, are they self-governing? Should we even be calling them colonists? Because it does not indicate that they're not self-governed. Mm -hmm. And then you have the issue of, okay, if England is going to colonize uh, Massachusetts and some of these other uh, provinces, is it going to be almost like a theocracy? Like, what role does the church have? What role does the parliament have? And you have Increase Mather, who was one of the, the big provincial agents of the time. He goes over to London and he says, hey, William and Mary, you need to restore the old colonial charter. And King William's like, mm, <laughs> you're a religious dude. Yeah. I don't like that. Well, I'm talking about how things can change drastically from king to king or king to queen or whatever. The fact of the matter is with the, with the religious aspects of things, the religious undertones of the people leading the country also changed from time to time because we went from a you know Anglican 
king to a Catholic king, and we've got a lot of Protestants under their rule. So, yeah, it could be quite confusing, I would imagine, for the, shall I say, colonist of the time. <laughs> right. So that's where the Salem witch trials comes into play. So, yes, this is an election podcast, and yes, the Mathers were Increase Mather and then his son Cotton Mather. They were elected to different roles. So that's how we... We justify it. Yeah, we finagle. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) We're going to say it with confidence that Uh the Salem Witch Trials, they are an important part of our nation's history. Yeah. And that's where all of this, you know, the Anglicans, the King Rule, the... The Puritans, all of this comes to a head. So we are in the 1690s. So it's important to note that this is not really an isolated incident in our history. The Salem witch trials were pretty much the last of the witch trials in America, or in whatever we want to call America now. Previous to that, there had been quite a few instances of people basically crying witch and trials that had gone on, but the Salem witch trials were really the last ones that occurred. And so Salem is known for having a lot of internal disputes and disputes between the villages. And it's not really like, uh, as you see in, you know, in the movies, a, a tiny little small town. It's more of a fragmented town that goes out and has a lot of different boundaries and everything. And so there's arguments about, you know, property lines and grazing rights and church privileges and stuff like that. And the whole town is kind of already at each other's throats. So you can imagine it doesn't take a whole lot to set everything off. And in case you didn't know, for for the majority of people, the Salem witch trials, as we look back, aren't really about witches. (laughs) There's a lot more to it politically, religiously, et cetera, uh, that weren't actually about witches, as we want to call them. Right. So in February of 1692, Betty Paris, she's nine years old, and her 11-year-old cousin, Abigail Williams, they began to have fits, and they were described as being, quote, beyond the power of epileptic fits or natural disease to affect. And that's a quote from John Hale, who was a minister from the nearby town of Beverly. So the girls would scream and they threw things. Um, ben, this doesn't sound too abnormal to me. But <laughs> anyway, maybe maybe the strange sounds that they sure. uttered and they would crawl under furniture. That doesn't sound too weird. Yeah, I mean, my kids do that. So Yeah. Yeah. So there were some well-known people in that day who took notice of this strange behavior, uh, notably ministers and other members of the clergy. So there's three people that get accused and arrested initially. Basically, there's a a person who accuses them, Ann Putnam Jr., and a lot of historians have said since then that maybe this was a family feud that caused them to cry witch, possibly. There's a big rivalry going on between a couple different families, and, you know, it's really polarizing in Salem. And so this may or may not have been one of those crying wolf but crying witch types of things. And so you have others that were uh, homeless beggars. Uh, You know that from interactions probably that you've had that sometimes being homeless and not having a place to go may drive someone to do things they wouldn't normally do and may cause them to have a bit of their sanity taken from them. And oftentimes people who are already in a disabled state end up homeless. So this may have been a, a situation like that. And 
then there's there's Sarah Osborne, who her, her crime of being a witch was really that she didn't really attend church very often. And so the Puritans believed that she must have had her own self-interest in mind because she got remarried. And she not only got remarried, she got remarried to an indentured servant. And so she is really not looked at kindly by the citizens of the town. So you can imagine uh, <laughs> this isn't starting to sound like, oh, there's a lot of witchcraft going on. It starts to sound like there's people we don't like, and also there's weird things about them, so therefore they must be witches. Yeah, even racism uh, comes into play because you've got Tatuba. Uh, she was an Indian slave, and she was targeted probably because of her ethnic differences. And she was accused of attracting girls like Abigail Williams and Betty Paris um, with stories of enchantment. And these tales were about all kinds of creepy things, <laughs> <laughs> dealing with demons and uh, fortune telling and things like that. So you can imagine it was a little bit of, it was kind of like the Harry Potter hysteria. You remember uh -huh, that? Yeah. So it, it sounds like this may or may not have been serious or it might just have been benign storytelling. Well, and here's kind of what makes me think it's probably not serious or wasn't serious. And, hey, I don't know. Maybe it was. But well, a few months later, there are some others that get accused of witchcraft. And one of these individuals is Martha Corey. And Martha Corey had expressed a little bit of, I don't know what you want to call it, skepticism about the accusations of these other people. And so she draws a lot of attention, and what do you know? All of a sudden, she gets targeted as being a witch as well. So basically, you either agree with us or you're a witch. Yeah. And so that kind of creates this idea that some of these people who are who were uh, accused of witchcraft, and there are a lot of others that we haven't mentioned here, but some of them were like you know what what we would consider good upstanding citizens or good upstanding church folk and so then there does start to become a little bit of a hysteria amongst the common folk in in the town that's uh well if any of these people can become witches and can be affected by witchcraft any of us can so we really need to keep a lookout and so you get to the point where there's even uh Dorothy Good who's the 4-year-old daughter of Sarah Good gets questioned by the magistrates and basically they took what she said and then accused her mother uh, and implicated her mother in the witchcraft scandal. So, yeah, hysteria can do crazy things to you and to, to to society in general. Yeah, could you imagine being four years old? I mean, I can't imagine being four years old. Right, yeah, but, yeah. Okay, so your four-year-old is brought before a magistrate, mm -hmm. you know, and they've got the crazy long hair and the formal attire and everything, and they're being questioned and they probably got you in a really uncomfortable dress. <laughs> I, I just can't imagine you would have been nervous. You would not be totally aware of what was going on and how your words would have been taken seriously or not right. seriously. Or yeah. Pretty crazy. So, of course, with the advent of Google, you can go in and read a lot about some of the cases <laughs> that happened and where warrants were issued and who was accused. Um, but... We're going to talk more about the prosecution of these supposed witches. And the court of Oyer and Terminer, uh, they convened in Salem on June the 2nd, 1692. So on June 3rd, 
the grand jury, they get together and they endorse indictments against Rebecca Nurse and John Willard. But they didn't go to trial uh, immediately because, well, we don't know why. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a person named Bridget Bishop, and she was executed by hanging on June 10th, 1692. And the reason why she was hanged is because she was described. she, She was a witch, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I don't need to say anything else. Right, that's right. <laughs> but she was described as not living a Puritan lifestyle. Uh, she wore black clothing and odd costumes. Kind of sounds like you, Ben. We would call her an eccentric nowadays. Yeah. And <clears throat> that was totally against Puritan code, of course. And when she was examined uh, before her trial, she was asked about her coat. And why was she asked about her coat? Well, because <laughs> it was awkwardly <laughs> cut or torn in two ways. Yeah, and so, you know, along with the fact she had an immoral lifestyle, which whatever that means, means she's a witch, so she gets hanged. And then immediately after she gets executed, the court's like, all right, for like three weeks, we're going to go ahead and adjourn and get some uh, uh, some advice from, from the, you know, ministers of New England here and see how things stand and everything. And they come back, and here's where we see Cotton Mather enter the picture. So basically, he gives a little bit of... Yeah, there's probably some witchcraft and a little bit of, but hold up, make sure you're doing things right. And people listen, of course, more to what they want to hear. So they hear the part about, yeah, there's probably some witchcraft and things just really take a new speed. They're going on with more vigor than ever before. And a lot of times whenever they would republish these things to people, they would just leave out the the parts that they didn't want them to hear about taking it easy. So uh, it, it gets a little bit more sensationalized and Cotton Mather's uh, words were taken out of context, of course. Now, not to say he didn't think there might have been some witchcraft and that it needed to be taken care of, but he certainly thought there should also be some caution exercised. Yeah, so what ends up happening on July 19th, 1692, is five women were executed by hanging. They were allegedly witches. And in August, more convictions were brought and five more people were executed because of witchcraft. So it wasn't like every other person in the town was being hanged, but if you didn't toe the line, mm-hmm. there's a pretty good chance you're going to be brought before the magistrate. Yeah. And so in September, the grand juries are indicting a bunch of people. They indict 18 more people and they didn't indict William Proctor, who, as you may notice, that's a typically a male person's name. And there aren't a whole lot of males indicted in these trials because, well, males can't be witches. Everybody knows that. But anyway, he gets rearrested on new charges and they fail to indict him again. And there are some people who get tortured and some people who, you know, won't say I'm a witch. So they get tortured. And on September 20th, Cotton Mather's like, all right, listen, uh, quote, <laughs> the quote starts after, all right, listen, uh, <laughs> that I may be the more capable to assist in lifting up a standard against the infernal enemy, a narrative of the evidence given at the trials of half a dozen, or if you please, a dozen of the principal witches who have been condemned. And so basically he's asking, I'd really like to review this kind of stuff. I'd like to see the case files and all that kind of stuff. So he says that, and then two days later, eight more people get executed. And he basically says, after execution, Mr. Noyes, turning him to the body, said, what a sad thing it is to see eight firebrands of hell hanging there. So 
he takes it seriously, but he also wants to make sure things are being done well. And so some people keep going and they, you know, some people get reprieved, some people get immediately executed, and the hysteria continues for a while. So being a witch uh-huh. is no respecter of age. Like, right. there were young people, old people. Babies. Yeah. Yep. All kinds of people, mainly women. Mainly women, yeah. Who were executed for being witches. And how do you get out of it? Because basically either you are declared to be a witch and if you deny it well of course you're a witch well, of you're course you're deny a witch it. yeah and then if you say yeah i'm a witch well then you're a witch right and you need to die i know this is the stereotypical discussion about the salem witch trials but it's it's it really is you know they did a really good job with it in monty python and the holy grail do you remember when they had the, the oh, scenes goodness. about the witches <laughs> and basically, you know, the the question is, how do you know she's a witch? And everyone says, well, she looks like one. Well, of course, we look at that and we laugh and, oh, does she weigh more than the duck? If she weighs more than the duck, then she's obviously a witch. Well, of course she weighs more than the duck. But those are legitimately the types of the types of evidences that were brought against these individuals. Yeah. So where this ties into the book, The Fever of 1721, of course, we mentioned that... Uh, Cotton Mather uh-huh. reemerges onto the scene as a hero, as a little bit of a guy on the fringe because of being involved in the witch trials. But then he ends up being the hero. We're not going to give it away. <laughs> right. But there is this issue of what's called spectral evidence. What is spectral evidence, you ask? Well, that is when the testimony of the afflicted who claimed to have seen an apparition or the shape of a person who was allegedly afflicting them. <laughs> that's spectral evidence. It's it's not really in our physical realm. Right. That's it's a, a ghost. It's it. a ghost. Oh. But not a ghost. Kind of. Yeah. So where this really comes to a head is every six years or so, you would have these breakouts of smallpox mm-hmm. and you would have attacks from Native Americans, or maybe the stars aligned kind of weird. Maybe there's a comet in the sky or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that was seen as a sign from the divine or God. And that determines a lot of how people lived their lives. They would see smallpox coming to their town and they'd be like, well, that's because that comet came by. Right. And there's this evolution in in thinking at this time because during the Salem witch trials, it was basically, yeah, there's some weird things going on. We're being attacked by demonic forces. Mm-hmm. We need to do something about it. Right. To more of a, dare I say science? Because I don't want to sound, <laughs> I don't want to berate anyone for religious persuasions or anything like sure. that. Sure. But it became much more of a concrete evidence. This where this has been tested, right? And we're going to test this. Yeah. So something that I gleaned from it is look at the life of Cotton Mather. He'd be a, an interesting person to do a complete episode on. Sure. But you're going to see a different Cotton Mather from the Salem witch trials, and in 1721. Right. A much more compassionate. Yes. <laughs> I think you could say. And then there's Increase Mather as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Also another interesting case study and also had some doings with the Salem Witch Trials. And basically, their Increase is the one who says, hey, stop using all this spectral evidence. At least if that's your mm-hmm. only thing. 
stop doing that. And the court, you know, ends up saying, well, the spectral evidence, yeah, we can't admit that because it's really interesting. I know we're kind of going back here a minute, but it's really interesting to me that because people who were into the spectral evidence, there's this dispute of, well, if if the devil or a demon appears as someone, that person obviously had to have given the per, their permission to the devil or a demon to use their, their likeness, obviously. And the opposition says, well, no, come on, anybody, the devil can just take anybody's form that they want to. There's never the question of, well, did they actually see something or are they just making it up? It's a matter of, well, either you have to give the devil permission or you don't. And I, I just, it's really interesting that the, the, the conversation is no longer about, are they actually practicing witchcraft and inflicting harm upon people? It's, did they give permission to the devil or not? to see their, their form. And you can take from that statement what you want, but I just think it's interesting. Yeah. You have some deep theological discussions about this because a lot of people um, who are claiming to be followers of uh, Christianity, they were not necessarily using the Bible. Right. Uh, as we would be familiar with uh, in our day and age, you would say, well, this is where the Bible says this or, uh-huh. or so on. It was wasn't necessarily following folks who are Christians because yeah. these folks would have considered themselves Christians. So, yeah. and they didn't, yeah, they didn't really rely upon the Bible, which is what Christians, you know, what we tend to use as our guideline. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so all of this does lead into a new era where Great Britain is becoming more and more involved, um, believe it or not, <laughs> in, in the Massachusetts colony. And I really do recommend picking up a copy of The Fever of 1721 because it's a political Mm -hmm. book, but it's also a book about the history of medicine, which if you're not a medical type, which I'm definitely not a medical type, it's fascinating to see what went into inoculations and the whole concept of being inoculated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if that does interest you, if so you obviously, well, hopefully, and by the way, there's a ton more we can talk about about the Salem Witch Trials, and maybe someday we will, but we kind of just wanted to introduce the idea and go through it and talk about a couple of key players. But anyway, if you are in the history, which we think you probably are, and you're also kind of wondering about medicine, like Jason and I, but not really super into it, there is another show called uh, Sawbones. It's a pretty popular show. It's all about medical history, and it's done in a lighthearted way, kind of like how we try to do our show. But uh, they go through and talk about all the things in history that they tried to do, such as leeches and all those other types of things. I was worried about where you're going to go with yeah. that. Uh, so <laughs> uh, it's a really interesting show that mm-hmm. also is good with history. So check it out if you haven't heard of it. Yeah. And thank your lucky stars mm-hmm. that you live in the 21st century. I know a couple weeks ago when they were talking about the assassination attempt on Reagan and how that bullet came so close to his heart and the um, James Garfield Twitter account, they were talking about how Garfield was grazed in the arm with a bullet and here, you know, his wound was not superficial, but superficial in comparison to Reagan's gunshot wound. And here Garfield dies. Right because of all the infection and yep. all the horrible things. So just let's take a moment to, just be, to thankful. be thankful <laughs> yes, <laughs> that we live today. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Hey, uh, we are thankful for you, and we would be really thankful if you headed over to our Patreon page where you can support us. It's electioncollege.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can go over there, and for as little as 11 cents per episode, you can say, thank you, Jason and Ben. I really appreciate your hard work and the cookies you sent me last week. Oh, yeah. I hope you all got those, by the way. If you didn't, talk to your mailman. Yeah, Yeah. that's the person you want to engage with on Mm -hmm. that. Speaking of engagement, you can engage with us over on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Election College. And one thing that makes us do the happy dance, and if you've never seen us do the happy dance, we're doing it right now, is when a new review comes in in iTunes. Go to electioncollege.com slash iTunes. Even if you don't listen to the podcast on iTunes, that's where, well, how do we describe it? Where it's at. That is where it's at. That's where you need to leave us a rating and review. It helps us get in front of more people who are just like you. I know a lot of you listen to us on the Overcast app, by the way, and this is just real quick. There's a button that says recommend, and it will put 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 us on the recommended list if you put it click that button so yeah yeah if you listen to us on overcast do it do it do it do it now you can do it while you're listening seriously i'll give you (laughs) i'll give you five seconds thank you okay you should have done thank you that was appreciative yeah we appreciate that uh we'll talk to you next week i think we've rambled on long (laughs) enough now thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.